Welcome to the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and we're still locked down, still going through COVID-19, still going through unbelievable times here in our country, protests around the country in response to the death of George Floyd and other acts of police brutality and misconduct, also protests about racism and inequality in this country is going on around here. Been going on almost two weeks straight and people are still in the streets doing their thing. I want to give a shout out to everybody out there who is sort of doing their thing and sharing things on social media, protesting, and also taking a stand for all the injustices and inequality in this country. And want to thank y'all for standing up and for everybody who stood with the black community here in solidarity. I appreciate y'all as well. It's a long fight. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So let's keep that in mind as we continue to go on. Want to give a shout out, of course, to everybody watching us and also listening to us worldwide. Of course, you can get all of our platforms on our link tree found on all of our social media channels. We give that at the end of each of our episodes every week on the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast. Subscribe into our YouTube, like in our Facebook, Instagram, also following on Twitter. We are active on all social media channels and we appreciate all y'all for following us and also subscribing and sharing your feedback on the Vault Classic Music Reviews. We do it all here for you. As we always say here on the Vault, we like to take you back in time. Our sayings here on the Vault Classic Music Reviews are hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics or NBTC for short. And today, we have yet another album we're going to review today, turning 20 years old, upcoming this week. I'm talking about none other than 3-6 Mafia and their fourth studio album, When the Smoke Clears, 6661. 3-6 Mafia released this album on Loud. To give you the particulars on When the Smoke Clears, released June 13, 2000, 20 years ago, recorded between 1999 and 2000. A runtime of 73 minutes and 58 seconds on Loud Records. The executive producers on this, the production duo of DJ Paul and Juicy J, two of the members of 3-6 Mafia who crafted the 3-6 Mafia sound for so many years before they split ways sometime last decade when Juicy J went to become a co-owner and also an executive of Taylor Gang. DJ Paul and Juicy J are also two of the members that have decided to reform some sort of semblance of 3-6 Mafia, but due to a couple of members dying, in particular Lord Infamous and Koopstanika, who died within the last 10 years or so, 3-6 Mafia will never be back together as a original group as they once were, but they decided to collaborate on some new projects, though there's no timeline as to when they may do so. On this album, 22 tracks. All tracks are produced by DJ Paul and Juicy J., there's a number of different guest spots on here. You hear, of course, from UGK, Bum B and Pump C on sipping on some scissor. La Chat, who was part of the Hypnotized Camp Posse, who came through here with Hypnotized Mind. Also, Big Gip from Goody Mob appeared on this album, as well as Fiend and Mr. Servon from No Limit Records. The rest of the Hypnotized Camp Posse included Project Pat, 
Also, MC Mac T-Rock also appeared on Memphis. There was a guest spot as well from the Insane Clown Posse, <laughs> the uh, alternative rap, horrorcore rap group known from Detroit, and also Twist Kid as well on Just Another Crazy Click. This is an album that came out right around the turn of the century. Just to give you an idea of when this came out, where I was. Now, to also clear up, everyone who listened to The Vault have heard a lot, a variety of different albums, all with different themes and things that were like either lyrically deft or production-wise were sound or excellent. Talked about many different themes, such as black empowerment, as knowledge, here, crazy bars and great emceeing and, you know, great rhymes and everything else like that. You won't hear (laughs) a lot of the positive themes when talked about discussing this album because this isn't that type of album. If you know 3-6 Mafia and the Hypnotized Mind Camp's music, they definitely fit into a different lane than probably the majority of music we've discussed here on the Vault Classic Music Reviews. It's also a Southern rap album, or as Pimp C like to say, it's country rap tunes. <laughs> this is exactly what this is. So we like to sort of get into what the different things that hip hop and rap as a genre likes to provide us. The one thing that I have to sort of speak on is the fact that a lot of people will talk about a lot of the Southern groups. We talked about how the industry was in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s into the mid 90s. People didn't really consider the South to be a rap powerhouse back then. A lot of the New York rappers and even West Coast rappers sort of dismissed a lot of the South when it came to things. Now, you had groups like the Ghetto Boys and Scarface that was early in the late 80s and early 90s that had some power in the industry. But it wasn't really until Outkast and Dungeon Family started to emerge that you saw the Atlanta rap scene start to emerge. Then afterwards, you saw New Orleans with No Limit, later on Cash Money and other acts down in that area, Miami and bass music in the late 80s and early 90s with Two Live Crew and Luke. And then you started to see other sects to emerge within the South. And in the mid-90s, what you had was 3-6 Mafia, who came out right around the mid-90s. They were much an underground clique because their things were their music was not mainstream, just to be honest. It wasn't. But they were underground hit in Memphis and around the South. And they came out with their debut album, Mystic Styles, in 1995, which was 25 years ago. Before that, they released a few different albums. It was also included... Chapter one, the end, chapter two, world domination before you got to when the smoke clears, 66, 61. And this was really their big foray into mainstream music because they released music that actually was played on the radio and had videos that you saw for mass distribution. Now, talk about what the South brings to music. Now, everyone will talk about, of course, how, you know, Russell Simmons was one that said when Southern Playlist, the Cadillac music by Outkast came out that they just dismissed the rap folks as country that they didn't have bars, that their rhymes weren't hitting and everything else. But I think that sort of plays to a cultural difference between what you get from both coasts, from East and West versus what you get in the South. And then not only that, I think it's unfair for, it was unfair for a lot of people to categorize all down South rap as the same. Now, if you listen to hip hop and follow rap, and if you follow Southern rap, you know that every single area has their distinct sound. All the stars and different acts from different areas have their own sound. Rap and hip-hop from Atlanta sounded so many different ways depending on the different acts that you featured. Same thing with acts from Miami. Same thing with acts from New Orleans. Same thing with acts from Houston. 
and other parts of Texas, as well as Mississippi, and then also rap from Memphis. Memphis and Tennessee considered to be what they called the Mid-South. But within those communities, this was their hip-hop. This is what they modeled and idolized and followed and supported because this was the things from the people of their era. This music brings a very different yet valuable contribution to hip-hop in the different beats, into the lyrics that are being written and sung. The things that they talked about were things that related to what their life was back down south. It was very similar to what was being done on Boats Coast, but it was so different because the life was so different in so many different ways. The lifestyle and the tempo of things were so different than where they were on both coasts. So people were quick to write them off. You have to dig in deeper to the music and understand what the music's trying to do and, and what the style is. And for me, that's what I personally had to do as a rap fan. Just to give you some background, just actually, I had just graduated from high school about a week after this album came out. I graduated on June 6th of 2000. This album came out a week out after this. Now, during that summer, you started to hear some pr promo material specifically for the first uh, single, which was Who Run It? And then also Sipping On Some Scissor, which came out earlier that year. But I had not, it had not come across my radar until later on that summer when I was getting ready to go to college. Now, when I headed to college, I was strictly a really, really big East Coast fan. I liked some Midwest rap. I liked some West Coast rap. I liked certain Southern rap. But when I first got to college, I was not a big fan of No Limit. I was not a big fan of Cash Money. I was not a big fan of 3-6 Mafia and Hypnotized Minds. <laughs> I was not. I wasn't. I was strictly in my backpack bag, underground rap from New York and all across. I was into bars. I was into boom bap production. That's where I was. A lot of that changed when I got to college. <laughs> and the reason why it changed when I got to college is when you go to college, you have people from all over. People have different musical tastes varying where they come from, and they listen to pretty much what they're comfortable with. But you get mixed in with a lot of different people when you go to college. So I had a little bit of that. Now, I had a lot of folks from where I'm from in Prince George's County where we listened to a lot of different music. The D.C. hip-hop scene had not made it big enough on the national stage where, you know, there were regular D.C. artists where people would listen to. So we sort of took something from everybody. You had those who like New York rap, those who like West Coast rap, the Bay or Los Angeles, Southern California, those who like hip-hop from Atlanta, those who love Scarface and Houston and love Twister and then love No Limit and love Cash Money. Well, I sort of got introduced into 3-6 Mafia during college. And shout out to my roommate, my freshman roommate, the great one. <laughs> and also my boy Black from D.C. who put me on the 3-6 Mafia. I sort of got into it because I sort of, I had to change my mode of thinking. I definitely had to look at music a different way other than just thinking that everything was supposed to teach me something. <laughs> That's the way I kind of looked at hip hop for the most part. Everything wasn't meant for me to nod my head. When I got into that mentality, being around other people who like this music, it made it a lot easier for me to be able to listen to three, six mafia and no limit and cash money. And from a production standpoint, I was able to appreciate all the elements that came with the things that Southern rap did producers like DJ Paul and juicy J also like N.O. Joe, producers like Toom, like Beats by the Pound, also called The Medicine Men, who produced for all these different Southern rap groups, also seeing what Luke did with Two, Two Live Crew and Lil John, to be able to see a lot of the different elements, the fact that the beats were hard driving, that the melodies were, while short loops, were inventive melodies, and the bass is really what drove the music. If you want to really take a difference between what makes the differences between East Coast rap to West Coast rap to down South rap 
It's all in the base. And the base was something that was heavy hitting because everyone who knows the culture about things down south, it's all about slabs, as they call them. The rides, the whips, the systems in the trunk. Like, you got to have bass to make your music thump in the south because that's what makes the music go. And that's what makes people get going. That's what gets them amped up. That's what makes them dance. That's what makes your ride go. When I understood it from that perspective, it made it a lot easier for me to be able to listen to a, something like 3-6 Mafia. I'll tell you something else which got me into 3-6 Mafia. Smoking. <laughs> when I got into college and I started smoking like regularly and started being around people that would smoke, you understand then why people would smoke and listen to this music. It's literally like the name of the crew, hypnotizing. <laughs> It's entertaining music to smoke to. You didn't want to sit down and smoke and smoke to Talib Kweli and Common and Nas and Jay-Z all the time. No, this was really partying in the club, in the whip, about to fight, smoking music. That's really what I can describe 3-6 Mafia as. It's that type of music. So when you come at it from that perspective, it makes it a little bit easier for you to listen to. <laughs> So I started getting into 3-6 Mafia. And after I heard this, this came out in my freshman year, I started getting into other Hypnotized Minds artists, Project Pat, T-Rock, Lord Infamous, Frasier Boy, La Chat. Started getting into a lot of different, and as the music came out, as I went through college, you started seeing all these different projects come out. This was really the first one that put them above the underground and put them in the consciousness of the mainstream public. For 3-6 Mafia, all the members who were in the original clique just to remind everyone, other than DJ Paul and Juicy J, was Crunchy Black, who was a 3-6 Mafia mainstay for a while, was the main hype man on stage, and also did a hell of a job on hooks. There was also Coopsta Nigga, who was in the group. Lord Infamous, who was actually the original member of 3-6 Mafia with DJ Paul and Juicy J. Then you also had Gangsta Boo. Now, Gangsta Boo, when you talk about the female rappers in the 90s into the 2000s, was highly influential on a lot of different female rap artists in the later 2000s into the 2010s. You could hear a lot of the things that you hear from Gangsta Boo in this album and previous 3-6 Mafia offerings that you heard from Diamond from Crab Mob, which you heard from other down south rap artists like Trina, which you heard from eventually people like Jackie O and Kaya. You heard a lot of these influences, and a lot of it came from people listening to Gangsta Boo, who at that point was still only like 21 or 22, but it had been on at least three to four, three, six mafia albums. Now she would leave after this album as was Coops to could leave. There was a number of different money disputes and also things about contracts and solo albums. So they left. So this was really the last album that the original three, six mafia put out as a group. And they released this in 2000. After that, the groups kind of split up and then three, six and hypnotized minds went to a little bit of a different route as people came on and then they left and nothing really was ever the same after that. But nonetheless, when the smokes clears 66, 61, and that comes from the intro when they were quoting Bible verses and the last verse on there sounded like it would have been a Bible verse until it became explicit. Then they said that was from three, six mafia, 66, 61, taking into consideration the three sixes and the one at the end. So we're going to get now into the tracks that we like some of my highlights, any lowlights that we have. I'll sort of go through it. Of course, all tracks here produced by DJ Paul and Juicy J. Just to sort of get into what you're going to get here. You're not going to get any groundbreaking lyrics or great lyricism on here. There are some bright spots on here. I, for me, love 
some of the verses by DJ Paul and Juicy J. I love a couple of verses on here by Coops Daniga. I love T-Rock's contributions on here. And T-Rock was one of their members that I love because he was actually lyrically deft and lyrically sound, but it fit within the framework of the music. I also love some verses on here by Project Pat. Project Pat's probably my favorite out of all the hypnotized minds posse, all of them. And uh, UGK's on here as well. They had some, you hear some great verses here by Bum B and Pimp C. Just to sort of go through my highlights here, what I liked about the albums. Now, everything here that for the first half of the album, it's rolling. And at one point in time, this album gets on a roll. We talk about when albums pick up. This album picks up right around track number three. I mean, everything, the 44 Killers and everything, the interlude is fine. But right when you get into the first full song and it, it picks up. Sipping on some scissor, which was one of the party anthems when I first got to school. How can you not love a track from Bum B and Pimp C? May Pimp C rest in peace. And of course, Project Pat's on the hook. And that's pretty much all that he's on on this. But <laughs> it makes a song, though, because that's a catchy hook. That's another thing that you get with 3-6 Mafia is you get catchy hooks and great vocal samples throughout their albums and their production. And that's, to me, what separated them from a lot of other producers, especially in the South, was their inventive use of vocal samples and chants that really made their music catchy. Weak ass bitch, just like us, I'm so high. And then you get into this role. So this album to me, it starts to roll and pick up from track three all the way down to about track 12 or 13. But you get that run of tracks where you have sipping on some scissor, weak ass bitch, just like us, I'm so high, into mafia niggas. And for those who don't understand which track mafia niggas was, well, I'll just go ahead and let you know what the main vocal sample was from that track. Yeah, ho. yeah that's it. That's it. You know, you want to hear it again? Yeah, ho. yeah that's it. Yeah, ho. yeah, that's all you remember. <laughs> if you remember nothing else about Mafia niggas, the track, that's it. It's that vocal sample right there. That yeah, ho vocal sample that was played throughout the track, which has been a vocal sample that many people have used throughout the years, either on their tracks or even in live shows, particularly Big Crit. And if you've seen Crit perform, you know that he uses his vocal sample as his, with his DJ in between tracks, and notably on the track Mount Olympus, which came out, I believe, in 2014 that Big Crit dropped. He used his vocal sample prominently. So he definitely listened to 3-6 Mafia coming up, being a Southern rapper, being from Mississippi, and this was one of the <laughs> my favorite vocal samples here. If nothing else... You could probably pull this vocal sample from any other vocal sample that's inserted here is Mafia niggas. But things really kind of pick up between those tracks from three all the way down to 12. So we talk about from the back, fuck y'all hoes, where the cheese at, tongue ring, and then barring you bitches. All some of my favorites here. Now, to me, where things start to slow down a little bit are from tracks 14 to track 17. Those tracks are What You Know featuring Big Gip from Goody Mob. Also, Act Like You Know, Point Them Out. 16, Take a Bump. And 17, Touch With It. That, to me, was a little disappointing because I would have expected a little bit better to be into the fact that Mr. Servon and Fiend was on here. Fiend was probably one of my two favorite rappers from No Limit. Him and Mac were my two favorite rappers from No Limit. To me, I think that's the weak spot of the album. They're not terrible tracks but i think things slow down like the momentum was so great between tracks three all the way down to track 13 then it started to slow down a little bit and i thought the momentum was lost heading into track 14 all the way through track 17 
Now, what you know was an okay track. I think, like I said, it slowed the album a little bit down. Act Like You Know Me, Point Them Out was all right, but it started to get a little repetitive. Take a Bump is not really anything that I remember about that that really stands out to me. And then Touch With It, to me, I expected with Mr. Servon and Fiend and LaChat to be on there. I expected a little bit more out of that. And after re-listening to this for some years, I kind of think that I probably feel a little bit, don't feel as good about this now as I did then. But the album picks up right back again to me during the last five tracks of the album. And that's Memphis, Just Another Crazy Clip, Who Run It, of course, Put Your Signs, and then the outro, which really isn't a track. So let's if we're not going to include the outro, we'll say the last four tracks. Now, Memphis, for those who see it's written as an acronym, that's because it stands for Making Easy Money, Pimping Hoes is Serious. That's what Memphis stands for. <laughs> and this is a posse track with Hypnotized Camp Posse and a relatively unknown Young Buck at that time. Young Buck as well from Tennessee, but he's from Nashville, Tennessee. He actually jumps on this track, and this is the first time that I think, the earliest time that I heard a track from Young Buck on a record was this one. But this, to me, I think is the standout. This might be just my favorite track on here, one of my two or three favorite tracks on here, along with Mafia Niggas and also with sipping on some scissor and I'm so high. Those are probably some of my favorites, but Memphis has all the three, six mafia folks, DJ Paul, Lord infamous, Coops, the nigga, La chat, but also has T rock also has MC Mac also has project Pat and everybody here is sort of spitting an eight bar verse. Everyone does their job on this song. And to me, the standout on this is actually T rock who spits one of the best verses on here, if not the best one. And T-Rock has always been a standout lyrically for me, but that's where the album starts to pick back up. Just Another Crazy Click featuring Insane Clown Posse, ICP, and Twisted. This was a pretty good song. When you sort of get into the lyrics and also to some of the flow on here, I think things went pretty well just until about the end. And that was with Shaggy, Shaggy, Too Dope, and Violent J. When they get on here, things sort of then start to, you know, it, you know, just go, just goes, you know, just a little crazy. You know what I'm saying? I've never really been a big fan of Insane Clown Posse. But, you know, until you get to that point, I thought the song was great and it had the potential to be good. But then when you get them on there, hmm, I don't know. I think you probably could have done away with either one of them. I didn't, we didn't necessarily need to have either one of them on there, but you know, but that's that. But the album picks back up there. Who run it? Who was actually the first single that came out on here? Just a little interesting thing. Uh, when I, I, when this song first came out, uh, I think during my first college party, this song came on and the dance floor damn near lost it. <laughs> and people started getting hyped. And they did that with that. And also with the next song, which is put your signs up. Now put your signs in his face, gang signs in his face was another one that if you play in the club, depending on what club you were in, things could get a little dangerous. And that's another one of those type of songs. But to me, that's where the album sort of picks back up is between 18 and 21 with Memphis, just another crazy clip who run it and put your signs. And on the outro, there's a, as they've done on many different three, six mafia albums and, the click albums, they've definitely talked about the tra- the albums that were coming out, the ones that were coming up soon. They mentioned here about Choices, which was with the next 3-6 Mafia album that came out, which corresponded with the movie Choices, which came out in 2001. But those are really my highlights. I don't really have necessarily lowlights per se. I mean, I do think that 
as I mentioned, the album starts to slow down and loses momentum right in between 14 to 17. But those tracks are good. I mean, I don't think I would skip them. Like when I was listening to it this week and I listened to it about two or three different times this week, I didn't necessarily skip through these because they were still a good listen, but it wasn't like anything what I experienced listening to three to 13. That's where the album really starts to pick up and it starts to fuel and go. So I wouldn't say these are low lights per se. I do think that the album slows down a little bit and I would have liked to seen that momentum maintain itself throughout the track list. The one thing that I love about this is of course the great production and the job that DJ Paul and Juicy J do with this with some of the uh, samples that they used and then the vocal samples and then the chants here, you really start to see exactly when you see that mode of down South production, like those other producers that I mentioned as well, is that they were the engine to help make three, six mafia go and what kept them popular. And it's because the beats, the production is really what drives a lot of this. Now the lyrics may not be stellar, spectacular. They may not be, you know, sources, quotables of the month or anything, but it all kind of works out because it fit into the style. The production style helped make the lyrics. The lyrics helped drive the production style. And it was a different style of rap. Throughout these 22 tracks, only a couple of skits and interludes. So it was a lot of music on here. So a lot of good quality music throughout uh, the 73 minutes and 58 seconds that they had. So shout out to DJ Paul and Juicy J for helping create the direction of this album and make this thing go. Now we're going to get into notable quotables. And as I mentioned before, my notable quotable comes from Memphis and it comes from a verse that T-Rock did towards the end of the track. Actually, a few tracks right in the middle, actually, if you could say, but getting close to the end of the track, it comes from T-Rock. T-Rock is a member, uh, was a member of the Hypnotized Minds Posse, and he was with them through most of the late 90s into the early 2000s until he actually broke off by himself and decided to release a couple of solo choices. But when he ever, when he did appear on Hypnotize Mind things, he definitely held his own. And this was from Memphis. Capital Mac 11s and load them full of ammunition. Terrorist sex, we pull them and lock them in the expedition. No set of niggas got guns equivalent to what we pack. Nuclear pistols and fire scorching automatic gats. How in the fuck can you handle the bustle damager? Tossing that bitch over the banister like trash canisters. Holler points into your battle troops when I have to shoot. Plus, I'll be storing the cap for you. Trick be absolute. Great verse. Great verse by T-Rock. And you heard a lot of good verses from T-Rock on a few different other Hypnotized Minds releases throughout the years, up until the point where he broke off himself and decided to do his own thing. But someone that you can stack in the pocket for a posse cut to be able to rip things down like T-Rock, that's my notable quotable right there. Also, some great verses here along through this. Now, when it comes to to DJ Paul and also Juicy J, I'm more of a fan of DJ Paul's flow and DJ Paul's verses. Some people like Juicy J. Juicy J has become more of a successful solo artist. But to me, I think DJ Paul had a better flow and better rhymes. That was just me, though. Some people think differently. They'll say that Juicy J does. But they were definitely a team and they were better together than they were apart, in my opinion. I really wish, though, in this album that they would have had more verses from Project Pat. Like I said, he's my favorite member of the Hypnotized Minds posse i love a number of his albums including mr don't play laying the smack down including getty green and these were all albums that i used to be able to sit chill drink smoke party whatever that's really what you're listening to the albums for 
I would have liked to hear more verses from him and uh, he would be on more of the three ticks mafia projects in the years to come. Then he did do a bed and it got out and then was on the most unknowns. Now, just to give an example, as far as what kind of acclaim this had when the smoke clears 66, 61 was one of two albums from three, six mafia to hit platinum status. That was this album. And then the most known unknowns, which came out in 2005 now, for those who don't know the most known unknowns, yeah, that's the album that has Stay Fly. That's the one that has Roll With It. That's the one that has Side to Side. Also has um, the Stay Fly remix and also Pussy Got You Hooked. So there's a lot of different other Three Six Mafia songs that are on those two albums. Those two albums went platinum. A lot of different other ones, such as uh, Chapter Two, such as The Unbreakables, that all went gold. But those two are probably the most acclaimed three, six mafia albums along with their debut mystic styles, because it was such an innovative album in regards to the style that they had. When you go through to this album for when the smoke clears, it has a lot of the different songs that made three, six mafia popular with the larger mainstream audience We're sipping on some scissor with who run it with mafia niggas. You get uh, I'm so high is another one that is now a three, six mafia staple as well. So you have a lot of different hits between those two albums and you see why they went platinum. This one to me is really what started everything with three, six and getting them involved into the consciousness. This really laid the groundwork to win an Oscar. They won an Oscar for it's hard out here for a pimp, which was part of hustle and flow. It won best original song at the grant at the, uh, the Oscars in 2006. <laughs> and everyone who remembers that, that ceremony, you had DJ Paul and crunchy black and juicy J get up on stage and act a fool in front of America and that's really when 3-6 Mafia, if you want to talk about made it and they arrived, that's when they made it and they arrived. They were on the Ellen show for long after that. You saw Ellen dancing with uh, Juicy J and also with Crunchy Black. So <laughs> that's when they made it. Now to get to the ultimate test to see whether it stands the test of time and whether this is a certified classic, borderline classic, or just a classic in its time. Now, before I get into this, I do have to sort of lay some groundwork. Now, we had this Cards, Dominoes, Drinks, and Smoke segment, What Makes a Classic, a few weeks ago. For those of you who have not checked it out, I had a discussion point and talks about what makes a classic. And that there are a number of different factors that make up what a classic is. Now, there was an interesting discussion topic on Twitter about a few months ago, and somebody said, if a rap album does not have excellent bars, can it be a classic? And there was a big debate about it. Some people said, yes, no, that's a part of the game. That's a part of hip hop. If you don't have excellent bars, it can't be a classic. And I disagree. I do think that lyrics and great flow and great lyricism is a component towards having a classic album. But we have also had great albums that had extreme and excellent and great lyricism, but sucked production wise or sucked in sequencing or sucked in direction and what you had was an album full of bars with really nothing else. And to me, I think you just can't look at an album just for bars and say, all right, that's the reason why this is a classic. And then what happens is when you do that, you exclude a lot of different other rap albums and albums in the game from so many different other areas where extreme lyricism and the mode of Jay-Z and Eminem and Royster 5'9 and Rakim and Big Daddy Kane and Biggie and Jadakiss, 
and whoever else you can think about that has great bars out there, any one of them, it takes away from other parts of the game and other regions and areas where bars are not necessarily put on as a premium where flow and subject and have much more of an emphasis than lyricism does. And to me, that doesn't make any any less of a classic. I think it's a balance. So when you get into starting about what makes a classic, there are many different things and there's no prerequisite that lyricism or bars have to make out a classic. Now, nobody wants to have terrible bars like nursery school rhyming and, and, you know, just no attempt to be able to even try to do something like some of these mumble kids out here do, but it has to be able to fit. And to me, as long as it fit and as long as the lyrics are on par with what the music's trying to accomplish, then I think that that's one of the elements that makes it. So in my estimation, listening to When the Smoke's Clears, 6661, everything into and together, I am going to go ahead and certify this as a certified classic to me. Now, why do I say that? I think because this really broke the door open for a group like 3-6 Mafia that became much bigger in pop culture later on in the decade when after they released this album. And it sort of introduced America into another part of the Southern rap world and the Southern culture and the things and the vernacular and also the slang that you hear. It brings you another aspect of hip hop that would be overlooked just because of where they came from or the subject matter that they were talking about. No, the lyrics are not spectacular on here, but the flow is great in many different places. The production on here is excellent. Great job by DJ Paul and Juicy J as they always did on a lot of these three, six mafia hypnotized minds releases. And then not only that, you look to see at the legacy of what this album has done now, right on par with the most known unknowns and mystic styles are probably their most influential releases. This is the one that got them out in front of the mainstream public. Without this, you don't have it so hard out here for a pimp. Without this, you don't have riding spinners. Without this, you don't have stay fly. <laughs> you don't have any of that. You don't even see the release and things have happened to some of the other hypnotized minds folks like Project Pat. They don't become as big. Like this is really what opened the door for this. So after this, with when Mr. Don't Play came out about a year or two later, and Project Pat had some smashes on there that made it out in the mainstream. This is really what helped push the whole Memphis rap culture out there. This is a, to me, one of the groundbreaking albums in the South during Southern rap culture, because this really helped push. Now there's an argument to be made about whether or not this is three, six mafia's best album. Some people will say mystic Styles, Some will say chapter two. Uh, some will say this, others will say things like choices. So that debate can sort of be, you know, hashed out amongst three, six mafia fans for a while. It's going to differ depending on the type of three, six mafia fan you are. But to me, this is one of their essential albums. One of the three, I think, that put them out there and has built the legacy of 3-6 Mafia and their clique and their contributions to the game. So I say certified classic because now, even while, when I listen to this and play this in my car driving around a few places this week, it still goes. It still pumps. It still gives you some energy. You still feel a certain way when you listen to this album. And even as a kid from the DMV, from Maryland, from Prince George's County, who knew nothing about 3-6 Mafia before he got to school, learned all about them when he got to college and continued to listen to them after he left school, the type of mode and the mood that puts you into to the type of thing that you listen to it for. Look, this is not going to uplift our people. It is not going to set you ablaze with dizzying lyricism, but it is going to be a nice listen to, and it's music that rides. Definitely music that rides. So there it is, 3-6 Mafia, When the Smoke Clears, 66-61, 
20 years ago, released June 13, 2000 on Loud Records. Please go check this out. If you consider yourself a 3-6 Mafia fan and haven't listened to this album, the shame on you. Go pick it up and let it ride in the whip or ride while you're sitting at home, man, because this is a great album. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of the Vault Podcast. Please make sure that you check us out on our host, vaultcmr.podbean.com. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to the Vault CMR on any one of our streaming platforms. If you go to any of our social media sites, it's in the bio of our profiles. You can get it there. It's our link tree. That's link tree backslash Vault CMR. You can get to our Instagram at, at Vault CMR Podcast, Twitter at Vault Classic, YouTube and Facebook. Search the Vault Classic Music Reviews. Go ahead and like and subscribe to both of those pages and keep up. We put all of our episodes on the YouTube each week so that you can check it out in case you missed it during the week as well as any of our streaming platforms. We appreciate all the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure you tell that friend to tell a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.